big decisions, paths followed, choices made. This is Connections, conversations about life and work. I'm your host, Jim Allen. This is Connections, and my connection this week is Steve Key. Welcome to my basement studio. Well, thank you for having me. So, uh, quick overview of your career. CKO Radio, Toronto Stock Exchange, I might have missed some things along the way. Insurance Bureau of Canada, we'll talk some of these later. And you're, you're certainly my best dressed uh, guest <laughs> so far. So you're you're already winning. I always say to people, I've been in I've been self-employed as a video producer for 30 years. Ten years before that, I worked at CKO Radio as a student, and I'm pretty sure I witnessed the beginning of your full-time career. Is that fair fair to say? Yeah, I mean, you were at CKO in '81. Yeah. I arrived in the fall of '82, and I I started doing work in the sports department. Right. So I would cover the Jays and the Leaf games. Uh, eventually, they moved me into the newsroom, uh, and I sort of became the jack of all trades. I reported. I did some anchoring. I, I, I edited tape. I pushed buttons. I, I did just CKO was the greatest training ground. What was CKO Radio for people watching this who've never heard of yeah. it? It was Canada's first all-news uh, radio network. It was this wonderful experiment. We had uh, stations across the country. We were doing the 24 hours a day news and information programming. Maybe we were a little bit before our time. Before our time. I was Uh, just thinking that. And, and, uh, you know, highly successful all-talk radio stations today, uh, like 680 News, uh, really took the model that CKO started with and uh, have really just supersized it and do it probably so much better. But at that time, CKO was this wonderful place to start. And they would give, a, at that time, a 19-year-old kid a chance to, to do something and be on the air. So you're right out of school, or were you there during school? I, I did both. I started as an intern. Uh, that grew into a part-time job and then a full-time job. So I finished up my schooling at Humber College in the radio program in 83. I was working uh, full-time and going to school full-time. So I would go to school, then go to work. So they, they, there were some really long days, but I wanted to secure a job. They always talk about you should go to small communities, uh, but I was learning. It was a master class, and we didn't have that term in those days, but it was a master class in learning about the news business and broadcasting from some of the some of the absolute greats in the business. So we're, we're going to jump around a bit today because but it's all, you know, it was important to me to tell everyone how we're connected and you have to go back that far to figure it out. That said, I feel like I know you better than I I should because of social media. You're really, really uh, active on social media, in my humble opinion. We're we're like almost, I think this is going to be a therapy session for me today because (laughs) we're, we're polar opposites. I'm a behind the camera guy that that uh, I've done hundreds of interviews, but never, not so much. Inf- I've not been on camera that much. You are on camera. You're 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 the guy taking selfies. You're the guy. Uh, um, there's uh, you do podcasts, travel podcasts, um, kind of work related podcasts. You 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 kindly guest on other people's uh, podcasts. Um, but you're you're also very open and honest. So I know exactly. Like you're on vacation. I know, if anything, you you're 
Too honest? <laughs> too I heard a podcast. You did um, somebody else's podcast, and you were talking about your first marriage. Oh, yeah. Very openly. I'm, I'm, I'm going, why, any fallback from any, any of your openness over the years? Anything you regret? Um, sometimes with the family. Uh, I don't know if the kids are particularly thrilled with everything I talk about. And there have been some friends that uh, maybe take exception to what I do. But, you know, I, I, this whole information world is what I've been living for 40 years. It's what I always wanted to do. Uh, social media, you know, I always say a decade ago, uh, when my work was largely in traditional media and social media was almost in its infancy, within a very short period of time, the pendulum swung and, and social media was just as important. So I was talking in my, in my regular job, having to talk with reporters and, and influencers on social media as much as traditional media. Hi, do you have a particular philosophy or you just say, I'm an open book, uh, I'll just say anything or, because uh, I'm, I'm, again, kind of the opposite. I, it was my anniversary a couple of days ago and, I, and I'm torn whether or not to uh, let my uh, wife put a picture out of it because I'm so private, you know, it's like. And, and, and I think it's, you have every right to be as private as you want. And, you know, I think, I think there's some, some situations with, with oversharing of information. Um, people always know what I'm doing or where I am and where I stand. And interesting, while I'm an open book, I try to be very fair. I try to look at both, both sides. And I, I say in today's world, you're either on the, the left or you're on the right, and there's no shades of gray in between. And I try to bring a bit of that perspective, and I also try to be very positive. Uh, I think there's just too much of social media where there are trolls. It's a cesspool of, of hate, and uh, it, it, that bothers me. And I'm, I'm not going to participate that way, but I'll right. try to take the high road. I'll try to... I'll I'll, I'll get back to that because that's an interesting part of social media, and you've you faced that professionally, I, I know, because it's just oh, yeah. part of the part of the gig. Um, well, John, we started at the beginning of your career, and let's go to the, kind of the end of your career. So it's like uh, December uh, twenty twenty. It's uh, it's uh, and and I, I probably follow you on Twitter and LinkedIn, and then mid December. Right before Christmas of a pandemic, you announced you're retiring, and I ha and I'm totally honest here. I just, I almost laughed out loud. I, <laughs> I, uh, I didn't believe it because you're the guy who is, you, you love your vacations, and you're you go to the Caribbean a couple times a year, right? Because I, I know so much about you. Yeah. You're a Caribbean a couple times a year. If you probably more if you could. And there you are on the beach or poolside tweeting about the insurance business, which is what your your last full time uh, big gig was, and uh, and yet here you are retiring on on LinkedIn. You you announced your retirement on LinkedIn, and I just didn't believe. But it. I was I was very quick to say I was retiring from full time work. I, I I I never gave the impression that I was just going to go away and no. live on a farm somewhere and raise animals. Although I would love to do that. I had been thinking about this for about a year. Okay. Uh, spoke with the company, decided the 
what was best. And uh, so you weren't fired or anything oh, like that. Okay. No, it was. Because all these things go through your yeah, mind. No, when no. It, somebody's it, too young to retire, retires. Well, right? but I'm I'm now 59 years old, and not, I really not wanted to do something different. Right. I, I two things. I loved my job. I've loved all my jobs. I thought you did. Uh, but I hated the commute. Right. And and I brought that on myself from moving from, uh, I originally lived in Mississauga, and then after my first marriage broke up, uh, we were down in, uh, in Toronto. I was right down by the Rogers Centre. And then when I had a chance, my father died 10, 11 years ago, and there was some money, and I put that together, and we bought the house in Brooklyn. Uh, which is northeast of uh, of Toronto, a wonderful little. It's a village in the town of Whitby, uh, and it was a it was a great investment. But it also meant an investment in time, and an hour and a half to two hour commute each way to get to work. That was the part I did not like. So the pandemic forced us home. It forced me to reevaluate what I wanted to do, and. Clearly, I didn't want to be running that rat race again. So you're 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 the classic scenario. You're home doing Zoom calls all day, probably, right? Um, not all day. Uh, I will, you know, I'll walk the dog. I'll cook dinner. I'll do little things. But like you're that. leading up to that. But leading I mean. leading up to that, yeah, it was Zoom calls. Prior to the to stepping away from IBC, there were probably six or seven Zoom calls a day. And instead of getting up and commuting both ways, I would be up and at my desk at seven in the morning and be there till seven at night. So Zoom and 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 that the, the virtual world meant you were probably putting in more hours to the company. So I, I, I was I was giving that company sixty to seventy hours a week. And I was mentally and physically destroyed. I put on a lot of weight. I, uh, I, I, I just I couldn't think straight anymore. I was probably a little cranky at times. You might not have, have noticed that, but I just didn't want to do it. Uh, so the retirement opened the door. It opened the door for me to, to get well again. So that's kind of my the concept of my. Uh, I think you've seen one or two of my shows, and that's kind of the concept here. It's sort of a almost like a storytelling gimmick for me. It's like big decision. Why you know why'd you make it, and then what happens after that? So, so since December, I mean, it's almost again. I'm watching. I'm waiting for the second shoe to drop, and sometime in January. Oh, I'm now Steve Key Communications, mm-hmm. and and since then you've I think gradually kind of. Well, climb back into it. Now you're you're saying, well, but, are you full time? No, 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 no. Nowhere close to that. Okay. So, uh, in order to, I chuckle because you know, in my suit, on the inside of my suit, it's it's Godfather quotes. So I I often quote movies and I quote a lot of different things. And I'm Godfather three and Michael Corleone said, just when I thought they was out, they pulled me back in. And that's a bit like retirement. So you're never really completely away. Right. That said, I I decided prior to the end of December that I was going to become far more uh, connected with the local community because I lived in this community. I love this community. I wanted to help. 
I, uh, I was appointed uh, into uh, one of the, uh, the steering committees by the town of Whitby. Uh, I joined a police community safety board from the Durham Police. Uh, I've done some speaking at Durham College, and, uh, and I joined the Whitby Chamber of Commerce. Maybe the best move I ever made. Because all of a sudden, when people thought I had time on my hands, they came to me. Can you do this? Can you do that? If I want to write a speech, write a speech. Write a news release, write a news release. You know, the first thing I did for the Whitby Chamber was largely government relations work. I was, I was preparing budget submissions for the provincial and federal budgets and then writing uh, summations after the budget. It tied into what I, I understood communications. I understood the issues. I, I, I do a lot of walk-arounds in downtown Brooklyn and try to help businesses what they need from the town. So I'm, I'm, I'm this resource, and, uh, and I kind of like it. People say, oh, you're kind of the mayor of Brooklyn. Well, yeah, I guess I walk around <laughs> with a bit of that swagger because— You're dressed like the mayor I'm, the, I'm not asking for anything from these companies— they're coming to me if they need help. Right. And that's the greatest gift of all. And so every client that I have, and there's not a lot, like you're making it sound like, you know, I've, I've completely gone into it, but no, I'm I asking, haven't. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I'm working 15 to 20 hours a week. Right. That's and enabled me to, to diet, exercise, plan myself. And you around got in shape there. along the way. I, I've lost 60 pounds. I'm, Just I'm, since December or longer yeah, than that? Yeah, and, wow. and so I'm, uh, I'm healthy. Got yeah. a dog. And, uh, you know, he's 10 months old now. Uh, you have a puppy, you got to walk them a lot. You got to train them. So there's a lot of things I do to, to try to be uh, you know, a good person and try to be helpful and use what I know and what I'm good at to help businesses that have really struggled during the pandemic. And so, so, so that's that's a lot of my focus. So you want to stay busy, but stay productive in, in a positive way. I, I'm not looking to rule the world. I'm not looking to be in a corner office anywhere. Right. I don't want to climb any more ladders. My, my days of climbing ladders are over. Well, let's talk about that ladder for a sec. So CKO, <laughs> how, were you there at the end of C CKO Radio? No, I... Uh, I left CKO in 1988. An opportunity came up to go work for the Toronto Stock Exchange, initially to do some market reports. If you remember back to the days, the TSX or TSE people in those days would phone in a market report twice or three times a day. So I was brought in to do that and then work on their media relations practice. This was after the 87 market crash, and there were people that won't even know what that is now, but that was a pretty significant financial event. And a lot of big corporate um, um, uh, closures of companies. So the TSX was going through some very challenging times. I thought, well, this is an interesting transition into to corporate communications. You're kind of going from the literal jump is journalism and it's to, not, it's to not, communications. And it's not for everybody, and it was yes. tough at the beginning. Yes. Because I was used to being the reporter chasing the story. And some people won't do it. Yeah, right? and, and well, I understand but why. Need, most people need a gig at a certain point, but too. But it right? took but, me a year right. to really find my, uh, my footing. Right. Uh, I had a, a wonderful boss at the time who took me aside, knew I was struggling at the beginning because I just wasn't really getting this. And she said to me, 
what you need to do is kind of proclaim your rarity. And I sat and I let that sit in. I thought, okay, what does that really mean to me? And, and, and the definition to that was, what do you do better than anybody else that you can make that the cornerstone of what your job is going to be? And that was networking. That was talking to people. That was being a storyteller. On base, like people on Bay Street. Exactly. So you're calling investing, the investing community, you're trying to develop relationships. I was doing that and the business media. And and so a lot of the, the, the business media, reporters that started and may, may have worked the business beat, and I got to know, we all grew up together. So these same people went into uh, managerial jobs at the newspapers, radio stations, TV stations, and so on and so forth, so that they would pick up my phone calls or read my emails. Right. So I became valuable for who I knew. It's like you're only as valuable as your contact list and, and who you network with. And that is so true because that's even today how I get any kind of work or job. It's based on who I know. I'm not cold calling anybody. Right. I don't have to. Right. And that's, a, that, that, and that's a, the luxury of age and wisdom. Right. It's a lot of years of investing in relationships. Right? Absolutely. Um. When you're at the TSE, Toronto Stock Exchange, um, so at what point did, did you start showing up on camera sometimes, like do, yeah. doing interviews? What was that like? Because that's that's exactly where I am now. I'm 40 years, I'm 35 years behind you. So, But appearing on camera, what was that like when you first started doing it that? Was, uh, it was you were... kind of a natural transition. Um, because I had started doing the market reports, because I had done a lot of reporting in, in at CKO, uh, I thought, well, we'll we'll work on something to uh, to let us tell our voice. The key point there is in the 90s, the trading floor at the stock exchange closed. We closed it. I was part of that project and it went all electronic trading. So we lost that visual that had been the trading floor. Uh, we then created something at the time called Stock Marketplace, which is now the TSE Broadcast or TSX Broadcast Center. And what we did is we brought media outlets into the exchange. Now, you know, NASDAQ, you know, does it, and 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 all of these different places in the U.S. But this was really the first, and it gave us that chance. So I had CBC, CP24, CTV, and News Channel. They were all in our building broadcasting from there and they needed content so they say steve can you come on and do a market wrap or reports or whatever you want i went okay that's great then we started doing market opening ceremonies where we we just put the feed out there and there was a visual event at 9 30 every morning they were getting that so all of these things added to build the profile for the exchange and that was uh, that was such a gift. Now that that was only one part of the job. The other part of it was the issues management, the crisis communications, all the different major events that happened uh, over the over the years that I had to be involved with. Uh, everything from Y two K. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's twenty some odd years in the past. Uh, what happened around the markets at nine eleven? That was pretty tragic. And then the the rise and fall of companies like Nortel, 
you know, and, and, and that, that aren't even around today. Or Briex. Briex was another one that, that uh, was a major uh, black eye on the uh, on the the, the industry. Yeah, so guys I, jumping I, out of helicopters and stuff. Like yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. And and so I was I was so fortunate to be around these events and to be around the people. So but you went in there, you didn't, you obviously you didn't have, well, maybe not obviously, but you didn't have a business degree or a commerce degree. No. So you learned everything just on the job, talking to people. Greatest, greatest training ground. But one of the best things that happened to me was uh, a boss of mine, Robert Patillo, uh, who was, I always called him the dark knight of communications. Um, he had worked for the CBC, had worked for some other major companies, very, very smart, intelligent guy, came into the exchange around 2001, and he put his faith in me. And he said, you know, let's let's get you as much training as possible. He sent me to Wharton down in Philadelphia. I did a lot of work down there. And I was down there like, <laughs> I'm saying, I'm a, a, a reasonably dumb jock who grew up in Malton, Ontario, uh, who coasted by and went into the radio broadcasting and program sports, and sports and sports and all of a sudden now I'm with these wonderful international students at Wharton and learning just the fundamentals of business and leadership and terminology and, and it it helped me and then I I did things like take the Canadian securities course which was a a tough okay. thing so I I had to learn about the markets. It's like being a sportscaster and mispronouncing a name. You can't be a business reporter and make a dumb mistake, I suppose. Right? Yeah. So is the, and even that translated into in in later years, I was teaching a course in communicating financial information at Humber College uh, because I I knew it and I understood it, and and that was uh, that was great to be able to do. But you know, I'm not classically trained there are mbas and there are really smart people out there i just bring something different i can take the complex things and simplify them down and that's been my entire career trying to <laughs> dumb it down and and make it palatable for the average person to understand i always said if you if i couldn't explain something that my mother or my grandmother could understand then i wasn't doing the right job so 20 years at the toronto stock exchange I think there was a bit of a, a gap. I think that's probably when I connected to you on on, on uh, LinkedIn. So then I'm kind of following you. I'm fo well, yeah, but okay. So what happened is that I had been at the exchange for for the 20 years for a job. I thought I would stay six months to a right. year. Uh, then you know you you get married, you have kids, you're trying to to settle down. You didn't want to leave. All of a sudden, Sun Life Financial made me an offer I couldn't refuse. It was phenomenal. To be their communications person, AVP of communications, and that was a staff of sixty people, and and uh, there was some local and some connection to the U.S. and internationally. Uh, I went to Sun Life, and I was there for about two years. I absolutely hated it, and I, and not because I hated Sun Life. Uh, I hated it because when I was at the exchange, people think the exchange is a huge, huge conglomerate. The exchange was a 500-person organization. Sun Life was 30,000 employees. It was just a matrix of, of trying to get information out there. So it wasn't the right fit for me. But internal communications at that It or? was external, internal. It was, it was everything. And, okay. uh, and so I left there and 
that was the first foray into trying to to work on my own. That's when I probably linked up with you. Yeah, right? and it and it didn't go so well because at that time that was 2010. So you started from scratch, right? So I was really starting with no plan or no idea, right? And it was within a year uh, or so that I ended up getting the job at IBC, which was a small organization, Insurance Bureau three, of Canada. Yeah, right? three hundred yeah. people, and. I remember interviewing for the job, and they said, well, what are you going to bring to the table? And I said, well, I'll, I'll come like I'm shot out of a cannon, and you won't regret it. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit of a cocky swagger, but that tends to be me from time to time. And, you know, the people I talked to, the woman that hired me said, you delivered everything you said we would, and not, if not more. And I'm you know, forever grateful for them to give me the last decade of my my full-time work, right? Because I did some phenomenal things at IBC. I was so fortunate. And you think insurance? You think it's not the most sexy uh, business in the world? We helped people on a daily basis, and it was challenging. I was in Fort McMurray after the fires. I was in Godridge after a tornado. I was in Barry after a tornado. Uh, flooding in 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 Alberta, Calgary, in in 2013, I spent the entire summer commuting back and forth. I saw people when they needed us most, and we did our best to help them. Now we didn't actually meet. I actually did work for the insurance bureau uh, through an agency that you used oh, to hire, Gabor. Gabor, Gabor, yes. So uh, so I was paying attention to to you because. Um, so you did, a, I think, a, kind of an infomercial early early days. Yeah. So I, I did some uh, field producing for that. So I did uh, street, some of the street interviews for okay. that. And it wasn't the only time that I did things before and after for the insurance bureau. So indirectly, I, I worked for you. But um, what I always found interesting, there's a couple points I want to get to. It wasn't, a, it wasn't always easy because uh, I remember one gig in particular, you're on the street and you're trying to find people to say positive things about the insurance industry and it ain't easy. Nope. Uh, and, and that, so a couple things, uh, I mean, you learned on the job and they, at the TSE, TSX, and they sent you on courses and stuff, but I was always impressed that here's a guy that wasn't in the insurance industry and suddenly you're out in front, you push you out in front and you are answering questions about the insurance business, which is complicated, uh, like an expert. You're the expert. You're pushed out there right away. How did you learn all that stuff so quickly, or are you just a really good actor? Wow. Um, <laughs> well, did, I mean- No, you, no, 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 no. You learn on the job, it's or? A, it's a great question, because you, you I'm a sponge. Right. I take in a lot. I process it. I bring it down to the level that I know I understand. There are brilliant policy and legal minds at IBC that can go into every detail and do a policy. Right. It was up to me to simplify it. Because the ultimate thing is to get you, as a person who needs insurance, to talk to your broker about what your specific needs are. So you're not paying for things you don't need. And that's a lot of the bottom line. So, which brings me back to social media, because <laughs> part of your job, you were very active as not not just yourself, but as the you know IBC 
communications guy on Twitter or whatever, and it's the wild, wild west, right? It's oh. like people are taking pot shots at you, the industry, and everything, and you have you have to have you take all the slings and arrows for whatever comes up, and it's 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 rough stuff. I don't and I don't know if I could. Do, I can't even do it. <laughs> I can't even really have a personal account. Uh, at all, I have such a thin thin skin. But how do you, how do you stand up there in the, in that social? We were talking about social media before, and it's. But how do you take all those things and arrows when you're the rep- representative of, of a company, and not just lose it on somebody? Or did you ever lose it? Oh, there were a few times I probably <laughs> lost. Did it. Did you go back and uh, delete no, those tweets? No, no, no. I was I, but I I gave a. I would have a discussion to a certain point. So I would have a lot of people who did not like what I said or did not like what the industry said. Primarily the the, the personal injury lawyers. And of course, they're working for people who have been wronged or feel they've been wronged by insurance companies. Uh, there are victims' rights groups that felt that, that, that I was, you know, I was this guy who just didn't listen to any of their concerns. None of these things were further from the truth. I, I would actually read and listen to it, and I might adjust my wording from time to time, but how am I going to go? I'm, I'm not going to go on a personal attack on somebody. I'll attack what you say. But they might attack you. That's, and they have. Yeah. I, I, I listen. It's not that you do anything wrong. I'm just saying, I, I got I'm just a, pointing out this. It, it's I got a, attacked a week rough. or so ago by a bunch of people around uh, uh, wearing masks and vaccines. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter what side of the fence you're on. Hmm. If you're going to stick your neck out, you can expect to be shot at. And right. you have to take the good with the bad. I get way more good than I get bad. So right. I would say that 90% of any feedback I ever get is truly positive. But was that, did that contribute to maybe the stress that you were feeling when you were like your last year or two there? No? No, because I'm, I'm an old athlete at heart. And I would, um, when I played sports as a kid, I was never the most talented person. I was a scrapper. I would I would do everything in my power to 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 win for the team. So part of me liked the challenge, the battle, the fight. Uh, but I always tried to fight fair and tried to fight clean. What what advice could you give? I mean, I know you you. I think you meant you say you mentor like students or, or anyone oh, that yeah. might approach it. Someone young that's they've lived their whole life in this, so maybe they're used to it because there's, there's TikTok and. Snapchat and all this stuff. Um, Do you know that my my niece, my niece, she's seventeen years old. She has two hundred and twenty five thousand TikTok followers. So you think I'm influential on social media? Oh, I could talk to Chloe. She's the influential one. Uh, but <laughs> that said, I'm always worried about the social footprint, and that there are too many young people today that don't realize that these things can be used against you at some point if you're looking for jobs or you're trying to do things. And not everybody is going to be an influencer. And you don't have to take off parts of your clothing to get likes. You can say good things. You can be positive, and people will do it. It's it's, – so when I I talk to students, I say, one, be careful of what you post on social media. And two, build your network. 
because I can say things at 59 years of age and get away with things that a 19-year-old can't. You've got a couple podcasts going. Uh, one, uh, was it, what's it called? The Next Step? Or? Okay, so there, there's two. And there's, a travel one. The Next Phase. Next Phase, which, which is whatever yeah, you're it, in now. It, it started as almost uh, uh, me just yammering on about something. And then it sort of changed, and it was more interviews and storytelling, and mm -hmm. similar to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's and I've interviewed some fantastic people. I've interviewed politicians, I've interviewed uh, authors. Uh, you know, I, I I spoke recently with John Daw. I don't know if you remember John Daw mm -hmm. from Global TV, and he uh, he had written a book. So I said, you know, listen, uh, I'd love to speak with you on this podcast because we go back to the days of the exchange. I read his book, fantastic, interesting read, wonderful interview. It was it was just something to do that. I talked to students. It's almost like I'm doing their first networking thing on my podcast. And it's it's great to see these kids go on to get their internships and to get their jobs, and I'm trying to help them. The other podcast I do is something we call Key to Travel. And, and that is, uh, it is really travel advice and information. I do that with my wife. And Cynthia is, um, she's the brains behind a lot of that because she is the one person that can remember each individual detail. I say she's got this eidetic memory for travel. She'll know where we've been, what we did, what was important, what had to change. Did, do you ever see yourself when you're visiting some of these places? I could I could live here six months a year. Yep. Or, yeah. Like what, which places are they? Where, where will I find you in five years? 10 years. Uh, one of my favorite places uh, is Samana in the Dominican Republic. It's uh, it's a smaller, it's, it's not, you know, Punta Cana or Porta Plata, but Samana is a small place. And I go to a small island there, which is maybe the best resort I've ever stayed in in my life. I'm also... Uh, does, it, does it have Wi-Fi? Yes, it does. It's got to have Wi-Fi. It does Steve, have Wi-Fi. Although, uh, though my 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 uh, my phone company for ten bucks a day, I can get all the access I want, so that's <laughs> fine. I also like Jamaica. Uh, I uh, I like Negril. I love the beaches there, and we have friends down there now. And this is the luxury of my travel is I get to to meet people and to do a lot of that that great stuff. And originally, I liked uh, Cuba, although I'm I'm I'm. They've had a lot of challenges, and it'll be a while before I go back. But my wife and I were married in Cuba in 2012. We were married down in Veradero, so that it it's a special place to us. Uh, but it, uh, you know, it's a struggling country, and there's a lot of things. So, ideally, I kind of want that Tom Cruise cocktail thing to just kind of go down to a beach somewhere, run a beach bar, and I'd be happy. Who knows? Who could knows? Happen. Could happen. It By could, a bar in the Caribbean. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and, and whether or not, like, we're, we're, we've also been talking about buying a place in New Brunswick uh, and and going down, going down there and living. You sell your house here, the value as you take it down to New Brunswick, it's, wow. But now the prices are starting to go up in Atlantic Canada because other people have got that thought already. So you're out, you're out in the whippy the Brooklyn area. Mm -hmm. If people want to get in touch with you, how, how do we get in touch? Well, a couple of ways. Um, I have a website, stevekeycommunications.ca. Uh, uh, you know, I, my sign, I have 
my signs on the side of my Jeep. I've got a sign behind me on my Zoom calls. People know how to reach me. If you if you Google Steve Key, uh, it's you, you would really have trouble not to figure out a way to find him. Steve, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed this. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment or if you want to be on the show, send me an email at connectionsvideopod at gmail.com. And please subscribe.